to episode 118 of Friends of Film, a podcast can release news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover Infinity Wars, tracking Deadpool 2, losing its villain, Ray's parentage, and more after review A Quiet Place. As always, I'm your host, Kupo, once again joined by a man who just discovered the seagulls stop it now bad lip reading, Josh Strange. I love it so much, too. <laughs> the line, run, 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 I can be a backpack while you uh-huh. run, is, is in my head anywhere I'm walking, like on campus or in the street or whatever. Do you it's walk just, faster? I walk fast. Well, I walk faster do you in general. Do, do you do you know flips then over any obstacles? I can't do any flips. <laughs> I, am, I am the least acrobatic person on the planet, but so genius. It's like it, it's everything I imagine Yoda saying on that planet when like no one's around. Right. Uh, so great. I can't believe it took me like what? Two years? Something like that. It's been around for a while. <sighs> God bless them. But uh, hey, everyone, don't forget, you can get all of our latest updates on Facebook and Twitter at Friends and Film. And be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And on iTunes, if you can, leave us a review. It really helps. Yeah. And go and head over to our website, friendsandfilm.wordpress.com. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of stuff up coming shortly. There's going to be a review of Blockers out from me uh, by the time you guys hear this. And if you saw already, I'm going to do an Infinity War rewatch extravaganza, Ooh. recapping my thoughts on every single Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Now I'm watching one a day leading up until Infinity War's premiere night. So if you guys want to you know, be involved with that, use the hashtag Infinity Rewatch on uh, social media and then you know check out that article comment on your thoughts on individual movies lists whatever you want to do um and you'll also see josh's written review of a quiet place which we are reviewing this week if we dive into spoilers there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you guys can skip ahead to the news but otherwise josh what did you think of a quiet place yeah shortly or quickly i loved it i loved every part of it like just deconstructing it, I was like, "Oh man, everything here is perfect." But the movie in its of itself is an experience. It's it can pull at your heartstrings a little bit, and it's tense and it's scary, and it's got its own vibe and um, aesthetic, and it's everything I've wanted in a horror movie that I've never seen before. Uh, uh, so for like, first of all, it's called a quiet place. And the silence, the use of sound in this, it's not Baby Driver or Dunkirk levels of, you know, excellence. It's something different. I don't know, man. It's pretty It's pretty great. It is. It's just atmosphere and just quiet steps. And it establishes this baseline that when something, when the, when the sound is raised even slightly, it puts you on edge. Just rustles, twig snaps, leaf crunches, and you're paying attention to all of this, and suddenly you're like, "Oh my gosh, I got to stop breathing right now, or else these <laughs> creatures in the screen are gonna hear me." And uh, I was just impressed, like, what happens when you pull away so much of that background noise that you're so accustomed to hearing, and you just pay attention to what's on screen? I don't know. It was just so cool and fascinating. Um, that I don't know it really blew me away that movies are so quick today or mm-hmm. like whatever it's like wow this is just so slowed down and but at the same time the story moves along so fast but and I just 
really love the pace and tone that it's mm-hmm. set. Absolutely. With, you know, dialing everything back. And that way of doing it creates its own sense of terror in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, and it com- the terror is coming from these monsters, and I dig them a ton. Uh, they aren't anything, you know, like crazy unique or memorable. I'm, I've kind of already forgotten what they look like in some ways. Yeah. They've become ubiquitous with what I imagine like a live-action carnage would mm-hmm. look like. Uh, they've got their scary teeth. Um, but the coolest part about them are their ear canals that they yeah. you see open up and then just kind of like look like a pulsating speaker. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's that's a really cool way to go about it. I, I totally, totally love that. Um, and you don't get to see them that often, which is, I think, part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Krasinski said that he was inspired by Jaws. Okay, that's perfect. Because the, you just know something's out there. And they can come from any moment. And in the first five minutes, that silence, when that silence is finally broken, and that you see one for the, or but you, you don't really see one, but when you get a look at one for the, or you feel the presence of one for the first time, it's a gut punch, mm-hmm. and then it's a gone, and you realize if you screw up for one second out in these woods, it's over for you. One peep, you're you're done for, and that that just lays over the entire movie from like beginning to end and you're like oh man i don't know how they're gonna do this i definitely know i couldn't do it yeah and i don't know they go through it so well um but outside of the monsters though krasinski's got a great family story in here too which i was like wow this is really really cool um him and uh, Emily Blunt, uh, you really buy their on-screen marriage. The chemistry I wonder is why. Pheno- <laughs> yeah, right? It's phenomenal. Uh, blew me away. But it's also um, the performance from Millicent Simmons uh, as Krasinski's daughter in this, mm-hmm. um, Reagan Abbott, which I don't think you don't learn any of their names in movie, right? I don't mm, No. Yeah, I don't think so. Right. I don't think so either. I mean, yeah, because I mean, they don't ever, they don't speak, so yeah, I don't remember them ever signing it. For sure. It's more just like, you know who you're talking to because you're pointing at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, well, anyway, um, got to go on IMVB to get their right. names. Uh, but th- there's a relationship with her and Krasinski that's played out um, through sign language and emoting, and you just get it without happening to, you know, watch any of them go off on their own and sulk or talk to any other characters to get that relationship. And mm-hmm. it's just so well set up. And then there's um, all the things that they're going through as a family that just make you um, engaged when those monsters aren't on screen. And uh, Totally perfect. And then just like kind of like, I want to wrap up my review here. Um, and outside of all of that, when things do get ratcheted up, Mm-hmm. Um, the drama and the tension, uh, it is it is stupendous because at the same time, not a lot's happening, but the the drama and the tension and everything that's been lit, set up for you prior to this is all coming out. It's all coalescing, mm-hmm. and you're 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 watching as these characters in silence. Are running for their lives in a lot of ways and it's just like 
oh man, oh man, oh man, I gotta be quiet too. I gotta be quiet too. If I talk, I'll expose them or something like that. And uh, it's just, it's, it's one of the best ways to uh, put terror on the screen that I've ever seen. Um, uh, one drawback I do think though is Emily Blunt gets herself in some ridiculous situations. Um, there's a, there's a rusty nail that plays foil to them. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is definitely, it definitely works in the moment as you know, like this thing that everybody's like afraid of having happen to them. Yeah. Uh, when you when you go shoeless because they go shoeless in this movie mm-hmm. to, you know, reduce their noise. But after I thought about it more, I'm like, uh, I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it's just like a, it's a typical horror trope. But yeah. That's like, that's a little, that's dumber than it needed to be, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I would, you know, Hey, however they do it, did it, you know, it works. Um, or well, they got the movie going anyway. Yeah. Uh, so all of that said, I'm giving it four and a half out of five ticket stubs, but I just want to say this is a really, really great John Krasinski directed movie. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's a, yeah, I think it's easily his best work on the big screen. Totally. I mean, I haven't seen his first movie. I saw the hollers meet the mm-hmm. hollers, whatever it's called. Um, oh yeah, interviews with ugly people or something like that. Yeah, and like <laughs> you know, the Hollers. Hollers was fine. It was you know a cute little family movie, but nothing special about it. Um, but this one, I, it continues that trend that Jordan Peele kind of started last year of comedy actors from TV stepping up mm. and directing and writing some of the best thrillers in recent memory. I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of insane. Um, and Krasinski, I thought, just really knocked it out of the park and really every aspect directing wise um technically it's really impressive um you know the cinematography by charlotte bruce christensen was exceptional Mm -hmm. as was i thought the sound design was top notch i mean the mixing of baby driver is a different story but the way they use sound okay um in a quiet place i thought was brilliantly done even to when you focus in on uh, Millicent Simmons character, because she's deaf in the movie and Millicent is deaf in real life, they cut all the sound out of the movie in most cases because she can't hear any sound. So we can't hear any sound. It's like, that was such a, I felt like a really smart move to just help get inside that character's head a little bit more. Uh, But then even, you know, the creaks of, of the wood, the, the break of a twig in the forest, Mm -hmm. every single sound you feel. And every single time it's like, No, because right. yeah. <laughs> you're you, they establish that sense of fear so early on and so uh, excellently that you just anytime any single sort of sound is made, even when they're signing and they're making the smallest of sounds with their mouths because they're also you know lipping what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's like you're like, I don't know how sensitive these creatures are, but like right. sometimes they're very sensitive to sound. Other times it's you know the the bigger sound you know is what they're drawn to and. Mm-hmm. Every single time a sound is made, there's that tension that ratches up and the the um, suspense is through the roof. And then it ultimately leads to a lot of surprises and, um, you know, moments you're just like, huh, you're, you're on, you know, the edge of your seat, you know, gripping the, the armrests, right. covering your mouth, whatever it is, because you're just like in so much, you're so tense that because you, you care about these characters really mm-hmm. easily without having to do that much character development or character insight into a lot of them it's just like this is a family it's post-apocalyptic there are creatures coming to kill them in some cases and like that's just a very easy thing as a viewer to latch on to and be like i don't want these people these these innocent harmless people to die mm-hmm. <laughs> because they make one measly sound like it's, it's i don't know that, that really worked for me 
um, Krasinski not only did a great job directing, but he also did a really good job as the lead of this movie. I thought his for performance sure. was great. And that goes across the board, um, especially for a movie that most of these characters get two lines of dialogue, maybe at the most, like there's, there's not a lot. They, they really never talk unless it's like a very certain instance mm-hmm. or a very certain location. It's like, they just don't talk. And this is like, getting all of that emotion across through just the faces through signing like that is i think a testament to all of the all of the cast members the limited yeah. cast that it is um that like they're really great performers you know emily blunt you know it's all of that trauma she goes through and the ridiculous situations that her character kind of gets herself into mm-hmm. you know yeah that's a, it's, it's a little ridic- ridiculous but yeah. it also gets some of the best moments out of Blunt for her right. entire career as Partic- an actress. Particularly that last stretch. Yeah, I mean, the, la- yeah, the last third is, I mean, a Blunt, just, you know, highlight reel, basically. of mm-hmm. like, oh, you want Blunt to be in this movie or you don't know? Right. Here, here's some clips and it's just all going to be of a quiet place of her just, like, emoting. And it's really powerful. I mean, even uh, Noah Jupe, who plays the uh, their son, mm-hmm. he was really good. Um, and I liked his bond with Krasinski a lot. The, yeah, that river scene. The father-daughter um, relationship was good, but there's an element to it that I was like, that feels a little forced to me that they didn't necessarily totally explain oh. or like necessarily set up that well. Um, the opening with the hearing aids? Um, no, we'll, we'll get into okay. it in spoilers. Um, I'd agree with you on the alien design. It's good, but not necessarily that unique. It's a mixture of alien and venom. So like you said, carnage basically. Um, and there was also moments where they go for the jump scares because this is a, this is you know a horror movie, mm-hmm. a PG thirteen horror movie, and those at certain places felt a little cheap. They weren't. I was more scared and my heart was racing more just in like seeing certain events play out and not being like oh, I feel like this is coming and I don't want it to and then it happens and it does and like it it's not scary but there's moments where like you know they want you to think something's happening and it's really just. You know, for the shock value, oh, it's like, ah, it's like, right, okay. Um, so I was a little disappointed that they went t- to those areas. Also, last point here, I have to see this movie again, okay, because my theater sucked. Oh yes, and I think this is something everybody has to know. If you haven't already seen this movie and you're interested in it, based on our reviews or anybody else's reviews, honestly, I think I would have rather seen a quiet place for the first time at my house alone. Fair. Because this is a movie that is so reliant on the silence and the silence building the tension that any sound that comes out of any other audience member can instantly take you out. For me, <laughs> in my row, there was eight to ten high school aged kids that before the movie started, you know, they were talking all throughout the previews and I was like I hope these people shut up when mm-hmm. the movie starts. And I don't know if there was some yeah. ongoing joke that they had as a group or whatever. But this, the kid closest to me, every five to ten minutes, would just go <laughs> and just like giggle, and I'm like, "What are you laughing at?" And it it killed it killed the moments. Uh, a lot of the times, there was even mm-hmm. a, there were people, a couple of those in front of me that you know they kept talking, and it's just like it's distracting. And to see the the care that Krasinski and the writers and everybody took into this movie to make sure that the silence and the tension were the core having that be ripped away based on who you see it with really sucks. 
So if you want to see this movie, go see it on like a Wednesday morning, earliest showing mm-hmm. when like the only person that's going to be in theater is you and maybe one other person. Or the retirement home from down the street. Right. <laughs> right. Like see it when there's the best opportunity for nobody else to be in the theater or just honestly – as terrible as it is to say, wait to see it until you can see it at home yeah. in a controlled environment in some instance. Right. We are we are definitely people don't treat horror movies with the same respect they do any other film. No. I've noticed that, number one. But number two, this one is the exact opposite of Dunkirk. It's loud. Right. Dunkirk is loud and it keeps you hooked in mm-hmm. that way. This is quiet and it keeps you yeah. hooked in that way. But the one drawback is if if Pacific Rim is playing yep. in the theater next to you, which it was for me, I don't you're know what hear, was next for me, but it was probably something yeah. similar because I could hear, hear the score. You're gonna hear whatever songs going on in there, and it's gonna like add this like, you know, this this one the little back of your mind distraction. You're like, yeah. what do I hear over there? Yeah, oh, it's oh, like, oh, is oh, this the score of a Quiet Place? Or is this the score of another movie? Yeah, it's it's just really distracting. And it's unfortunate to say. Yeah, um, it, it, it is upsetting. But so uh, for me, I I could honestly see myself bumping my score up a little bit if I see it again without any, you know, disturbances. Okay. But for some reason for me, I didn't feel like it blew me away that I feel like a lot of other people have, including yourself. I'm going to give it four ticket stubs out of five. Oh, okay. Which is still very high on the scale, but you know, like... No, you're setting me up for like a two and a half or a three. (laughs) No, 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 no. Your expectation setting there. No, my my expectations were very high for this movie based on reviews and everything, but Mm -hmm. also just, you know, the trailers really sold it for me, and so I. But I do honestly feel like I can. I would give this maybe a four and a half. Sure. If I wasn't every ten minutes getting knocked out of the movie by right. an audience member, the theater next door, whatever, right. and then having to get reengaged into the silence. Fair enough. Um, so, this is my score today, as of you know April seventh. I get you. But if I go see, if I see it again in a month, which I'm, sh- I will definitely see this movie again at some point. I could definitely see the score uh, going up a little bit, um, but not a ton. But let's get into spoilers, please, in this movie, so we can talk about it fully. Um, is there anything you want to start with right out the gate? Well, I want to go into the family because this is. I want to get a little, figure out a little bit more about what you thought about that relationship. Okay, but to set it up as a whole, the movie teaches you the consequences of not staying quiet in this place once the first once the prologue ends yeah we open with um day 89 day 89 which i do really did appreciate the fact that they didn't go with whatever was in one of those trailers and they just cut out the well overdone everyone on tv freaking out about the end of the world type of like this would have been a much this was a very, a very different, I think, less quality movie. This was day one, right? Because then it's like huh, we got to figure out these aliens, and it's mm-hmm. like no, they already got it figured out. Yeah, we're just living their lives exactly, and, and no family is better equipped to do that than the Abbots, who have a deaf daughter, knew sign language right away, and could just shut up yeah. immediately without having to worry about communication or anything like that. So I, I love that layer of. This family is doing well because mm-hmm. they're used to it, which is really cool. But anyway, we learn the consequences because I, I didn't even I did not see this coming. No, at all. Even though I saw hints of it in the trailers, apparently that it was coming. <laughs> but like, you don't think that they'll actually do what they're showing in the trailers. I didn't think what they're gonna do. The, this cute little kid, Cade Woodward, um, who plays the littlest Abbott, mm-hmm. 
you see this really sweet introduction of him running around being a kid in this town, in this drugstore. And, um, drawing so, a rocket. Drawing that's how they're going to get away. And who, who says that's how they'll escape this. Yes. And I was like, oh, this kid is my hero. I, mm-hmm. I love him. And then he goes after a rocket ship toy and they're like, no, you, you can't have this. It's mm-hmm. too loud. And then they pull the batteries out after like a really tense Krasinski like, oh yeah. no. Like treating it like a kid's pointing a gun at him and he's <laughs> ready to shoot it. I mean, might Which, as well have. Yeah, exactly. And they take the batteries out and Maleficent, um, or Simmons, Reagan Abbott, the girl, the daughter, gives it to him, no batteries intact. Mm-hmm. But like, there's like the, sh- or she winks at him or something, be like, this is a secret, don't tell anybody. Right. And then the kid's like, no, I want the batteries. And he yeah. takes something, I'm like, oh, no, that's going to come back and bite us. And that's what's going to be what, you know, endangers his family in the third act. Yeah. It's like, no, that's actually two minutes from now. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they show you some sweeping, beautiful shots of the abbots in the forest, walking down those trails. And then all of a sudden, the kid pulls it out. The silence is broken. The rocket ship is blasting off. Emily Blunt starts to panic. Mm -hmm. Krasinski races for him. And then out of the woods, one of these creatures just swoops in and tackles it. And then thud. Yeah. Cut cut to black. Day 460-something. The film title. That's right. And then we skip a year ahead. And you're just like... It can be over that quick. Mm -hmm. And it sets the mood for like, you know, this family in grief and well, you know, recovering from grief or suppose and trying to move on. And you can see that evident in one of the ways of um, Krasinski and Blunt having a new kid. And that's kind of like a subtle like we're going to go on with life, which was very interesting to me because like the, the fact that they introduced that plot element immediately after they lost the kid for mm-hmm. us and then like they're showing that they're basically setting up the birth room or like where they're going to keep the babies yeah. like, trying to soundproof and everything but they also showed this like oxygen mask right and i was like i like, sat back in my seat a little bit i was like are they gonna like kill this baby oh, okay and you thought but, and yeah. i was like i was like because uh, like honestly like that's like for me, that was almost a, an in-world logic. Like I, like you know, mm-hmm. you can't prevent all pregnancies. You know, obviously, I mean, you know, there there are ways to, but you know, sometimes right, you know, things happen, and you know, it's just like it's the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like I mean, and I was thinking, I was like, that, that's a really bad life choice if you plan to have this baby, mm-hmm. a screaming baby, while you can't make any noise. Right. And so then that they since they had this mask, and I don't think they showed what the gas was. I was like, are There's they a just, medical tag on it. That's I was it. like, are they just going to knock this baby out right after it's born? Like, what are they going to do? I was like, that, for me, I was like, that was like heart, a heartbreaking thought to have. Right, because they show it first, mm-hmm. and then you see Blunt put up the mobile. Yeah. And like, oh, wait, maybe it's something else, like an oxygen tank yeah, or something. Yeah, like, because I was like, I was like, that, like if, if they went that route, that would have yeah. been so tragic to be like, here's our, our new baby. Unfortunately, because mm-hmm. the world we live in, we can't actually afford to keep it because we'll all die. And I was like, that would like for me that hit me Ooh. really hard at the first part of the movie. That's not how it plays out. Right. But I was like, my whole the whole time I was just thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, they're gonna like. That is a bold choice for yeah. a PG thirteen film. <laughs> I was like, this is messed up. <laughs> to talk, well, yeah. Ooh, I never thought of it that way. I mean, like the resolution happened like really quick, or it helped it happen sooner than. I was able to like jump to that conclusion, I suppose. Right. 
but oh man yeah yeah that so that was going with Ooh. me uh i know that brian woods and scott beck who were the original two screenwriters mm-hmm. on this before Krinsky got on board uh said that they're like we couldn't think of like the worst thing in the not the worst thing in the world the most tr- dramatic thing to have to deal with during this was like yeah a baby right <laughs> but then yeah and for sure um, um but anyway i think we anyway we uh, gotta uh, find gotta find side tangent but it's a really great thing that's one awesome thing um krasinski and or uh, lee and reagan abbott yes father daughter mm-hmm. i really liked the relationship mm-hmm. she holds herself accountable it seemingly feels guilty for what happened to Bo mm-hmm. in that first act yeah and it weighs on her mm-hmm. and it seems that Lee doesn't trust her out in the world. Um, that's kind of why he, he tells her to stay home at one point. Right. And among other things, you, when they, they finally get to the river, and we can get some dialogue, mm-hmm. which is really, um, a, really a great moment. Yeah. When we see that, who that son start to express his fear of, I just watched my little brother mm-hmm. get eaten alive or get taken away. Um, I'm afraid of like acting out and then John shows him, Hey, it's okay. We can find refuge in like the world right. somewhere. That's a great moment when, cause at the waterfall. And yes. so like the louder, the, the loudest noise can, the, you know, the sound of the waterfall will drown out their voices. So like they're sitting there, they haven't said a word the entire movie. And then Krasinski, she like lets out this huge yell and the kid just like looks at him and like, terror and i was like john what are you doing Uh, (laughs) like but then he's like no like we're fine this is Mm -hmm. a safe place because the waterfall drowns out so we can talk it's just like and so the kid gets to let out a yell it's like it's this really like cool moment right yeah they're like uh they're howling like wolves i think is that what it is yeah it's really great but then we learn that reagan is you know beating herself Mm -hmm. up about what happened and then you know john's like oh man i love her like i don't hold her i yeah. don't hold her responsible or anything like that and that's because that he doesn't because like the kid just asks do you do you still love her mm-hmm. and he's just like what yeah of course i do yeah and then she's like he's like well she she blames herself and she thinks like you hate her because right she gave the rocket to the kid and now he's dead mm-hmm. and then you think about it too and like afterwards and you're like this family hasn't really had time to talk about mm-hmm. what happened they literally can't say anything to each other about this yeah but they can still sign which is where mm-hmm. for me it didn't pay it didn't feel that well set up because i'm like for me i was just like okay you know it's the old man of the house rules you know that's what emily blunt basically is telling the kid when he's like i don't want to go out on the wilderness with dad like i don't want to learn this stuff and yeah um millicent's like yeah let, let me go i want to do this and for me that was just like you know this is the man thing like that's how they're playing this in the movie mm-hmm um, and so then like when the kid brings up, so do you hate the daughter? I was like, wait, what? I was like, where is this coming from? And then as they explained, I was like, okay, that makes sense. But then because the way the movie plays out, they, John and Millicent never have any other sh- really screen time together until the finale yeah. where they're running for their lives. Mm-hmm. And so they never get a chance to really talk about that and or even have any sort of reconciliation until his ultimate demise his and, and he's signing, you know, I love you. Uh, I've always loved you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and it's a heartbreaking moment, but like the build up to that, I think to the talk, at least in the waterfall, I was like, I didn't really get the sense that like he resented her or she felt that, you know, 
she wasn't loved anymore because of what happened. Okay. So I, so for me, there was just like, I wish that would have been a little, made a little bit more clear before that talk happened. So for the first third that like mm-hmm. she felt disconnected from her father because of this act and not just like a, for whatever other reason it was. Sure. But that, so that wasn't laid out for you well by their first interaction when John is, uh, or well, Lee, John is crafting hearing aids for her, which I thought, which I think leads to like the most, the most gut punching moment is when uh, she's, she, Melissa is deaf. Her character mm-hmm. is deaf. And throughout the movie, we see John once or twice crafting hearing aids mm-hmm. for looking for different ways um, to make one that works so she can at least hear some things yeah. in this world. And each time he brings her one, I guess it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And this latest um, try, which he'd um, powered up and ultimately leads to discovering the weakness of the monsters. Right. But he gives it to her and she's upset about it and says it never works. And they get into a, a fight about uh, something else. Yeah, I don't remember what that, else was said. For me, I, all I remember is them fighting about hearing aids. The fact that the hearing aids didn't work, and I was yeah. just like, okay, like is this for me? That was just like that was built up frustration on her part to be like, okay, yeah, Dad, I know you're trying, but like, mm-hmm. it almost played as like a building up of false hope that like you know one day I'm going to figure this out and you'll be able to hear something. Okay, fair enough. And it, it didn't play of like a. Oh, I'm angry at you, Dad, or right. I feel like you don't love me because, like, to me, that's a loving act that he's doing to try mm-hmm. to give something to his daughter. So yeah. again, it was just like, is that disconnect? Um, which maybe I missed something. I don't know. All right. Um, sure. Fair enough. And since you mentioned the hearing aids, I also felt that because they they do it like three times, like that the hearing aid is like wounds the monsters if they get too close. It, yeah. The the the. Th- Frequency is so high that that it emits is so high that the monsters can't take it. Yeah, and so like for me, I mean, it's made very clear the very first time it happens that that is what's happening. But then mm-hmm. it happens a second time, and I was like, okay. And then it happens a third time. It wasn't it's not until the third time that they even realize, oh, this is what's happening. It's yeah. like I felt like you should have figured that out a little sooner. Um, like after that first attempt, be like, wait, why did they just leave us? Oh. Why am I also having this ringing in my ear? Oh, it's connected. Right. So like that I think could have been, they could have shortened that up maybe a little bit and sure. cut out the middle part. <laughs> I mean, even though it's, it's a great moment in the movie, but like uh, just in terms of real world thinking, I feel like if you've been spending all this time trying to figure out how to stop these monsters that only survive on sound, mm-hmm. the fact that sound, that a high pitched sound is driving them away. I feel like you would have caught on that really quickly. Sure. Fair enough. So. But it does, um, when they do ultimately catch on, uh, this is where all of the torment that they put Emily Blunt through pays off. Mm-hmm. And this is the redeeming part. Uh, she gets to go full mama habit, I guess, <laughs> yeah. on these monsters well, with the shotgun and everything. And um, ultimately, Reagan learns that her hearing aid mm-hmm. um, does this. And so she cranks up the transmitter on the, or the, uh, voltage on the, on the radio, radio yeah. that Johnny uses and sticks up her hearing aid against the uh, PA system mm-hmm. as the monsters close in on them. And then we get this nice shot of her looking at Emily Blunt. And then after Emily Blunt had already blasted one of the creatures with a shotgun, she uh, cocks it and then 
we get cut. a cut and that's the end of the movie and i'm like ah, oh, that's an epic way to go out of this thing yeah i didn't mind the you know the cliffhanger ending of like ooh, what's mm-hmm. gonna happen even though I, it was a little unclear to me um because they established early in the movie that there's only three of the monsters in yep. their area and i don't know if it's because they showed just diff- multiple different monitors so we're seeing the same two running across all the different monitors yeah but it's like is that the same two or is, or is that multiple and that yeah. the sound is so loud that it's attracted more or that it you know one of them died and it's like a hive mind thing so now the other ones are coming to mm-hmm. you know get revenge i was like I, that was a little unclear to me but it that wasn't like a oh i don't right. understand this ending sort of thing it's more just like a oh okay that's a cool tease for the sequel you need to know the yeah the xenoology or whatever right. they call it of these things do you i mean we, we both really like this movie. Would you be down to see a sequel? Even a prequel? Like, no, I, listen, I, I resist sequels a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's another story to tell here. Yeah. But if there's one that popped up that said, we'll play by these exact rules in some way, mm-hmm. I'd be down for it. Or even what about a quiet place universe where we see different families, different points in time of the attack uh dealing with it i, I mean even something like i don't know it had a, kind of like an i am legend feel to it at certain moments where yeah, it's like it did. you could like i could see like a seal team six like group of people like Ooh. going and like trying to hunt these things down and they they figured out the sound thing too so they have like these high-pitched frequency whistles or something mm. that they can get in close range and you know really mess them up and then kill them and that's how the people are gonna that's how humans are gonna win out it's mm. like i feel like there's different stories you could you could tell yes i don't necessarily need them but yeah, i wouldn't be opposed it's in it, that's an interesting thing to say because i almost wanted to say at the top that this is the movie that this is the script that bad robot and jj abrams should have bought for their cloverfield franchise well did you see that the writers uh considered turning it into a cloverfield movie did they really and then they're like i don't read that much into it but apparently they were just like nah it was like they yeah. passed I don't know. I don't. I don't know if Cloverfield passed on it and J.J. Abrams, but like, if if there was ever discussions of it, yeah, I not, think Bad Robot, Paramount are definitely kicking themselves. Oh, I, I, for sure. I mean, there's no way. That, I mean, maybe there's a way that you know Overlord at the end of this year is better, but this is easily better than Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, absolutely, it's, and, it's, and it's right up there, if not surpasses Ten Cloverfield this Lane. Is, and this is what John Krasinski jumped off of Paradox to go do. <laughs> Which is the crazy is thing, um, in in so 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 many ways. This is the Paramount film too, isn't it? Yeah. So I mean, there's their return right there mm-hmm. off of this movie that's you know doing fifty, 50 tracking to do fifty million or already do, has do done. close to fifty million dollars domestically up the weekend. Um, I mean, next week is only like Rampage mm-hmm. is opening. So um, word of mouth so going like, to carry that. So like, I think this is this is going to be around and like continuing to be in that top five box office for a couple of weeks yeah so um do you have any other closing thoughts i i do have a couple uh brian woods and scott beck who i mentioned earlier the original writers just huge fans of those guys now they're from the midwest and they wrote this sort of americana thriller uh you know and i just i just dig it i dig the krasinski lumberback lumberjack beard um (laughs) very cool uh let's see and then yeah, that's it. Oh, and also the the office callback iPod moment with Krasinski and Blunt 
listening to so Neil good. Young. I was like, this is what I was, that's when I realized John Krasinski <laughs> learned so much from The Office and how to like just extracted those moments from uh, his relationship with Pam and like all that, mm-hmm. those character things. I'm like, I, I, I literally think that what he learned from Novak and Kaling and all the writers from yeah. the U.S. office uh, is going to make this dude a great actor, writer, director. Absolutely. Going and forward. That was another great use of sound design. It wasn't. They, yes, it was good. They, the, it fades it in and yeah. it, it's really well done. A really sweet moment. Um, but I was like, oh, it's only coming from, but then I realized, Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's both ears well, in, both so of we their can different ears. Yeah, right. I was like, and it's not the baby driver way. I, I was just, <laughs> I was thinking about that as it's going. Like, oh, did they? Oh no, it's no. coming from both sides. Whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah, obviously, we both very much recommend a quiet place. Go see it in the quietest theater you can. Yes. Um, that's the best way to see this movie. And we'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news. And as always, we're going to start with Tick It or Skip It. This week, we have three trailers, all for movies we have yet to talk about on the podcast. Actually, I think we talked about one of them before on the podcast. But all first trailers for movies coming out this year, starting with Night School, the first trailer starring Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish. Josh, Tick It, Skip It? Skip It. Okay. I've never been on the Kevin Hart fan fan wagon bandwagon bandwagon <laughs> never been a fan uh, i don't know why i think he's he, he's funny and i did love him with the rock in um central intelligence did you see jumanji yet still haven't seen jumanji yet but uh to even with tiffany haddish uh, in here and from all the directors of girls trip i think i'll just wait till it's out on DVD. I mean, listen, I've got Movie Pass though, right. so like uh, odds are I'll probably stumble into this movie, mm-hmm. you know. But it does look good, but I'm not getting a ticket Thursday or Friday night for it. That's fair. I'm still going to give it a ticket um, okay. because I think it, it was funny enough. Sure, but it definitely lacked the big punch that I really wanted from this movie because okay. it stars Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish. Um, I'm un- it's unclear to me. I don't think it's ever been confirmed what this movie's intending to be in terms of a rating. If they're going it, from this trailer, it seems to be intended as a PG 13 movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Kevin Hart normally goes for. But Tiffany Haddish, I want to see her like still in that girl's trip R rated. Right. Yeah. Unchained. Yeah. And like to me, this felt like a little bit of a constrained Tiffany Haddish. Um, it's definitely a very different role because she plays the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that this, this was going to be like her and Kevin Hart both being like right. students trying to get their high school diplomas decades after the you know they yeah. didn't actually graduate and this is like so it was, it was a very different take than i was expecting but i still think there's going to be enough comedic moments in there that's going to be worth it to go see it so i'll still give it a ticket i mean yeah like you i have movie pass so it's not going to cost me anything right. <laughs> and, it's, and it's got a stacked cast too like aside from those two leads there's ben schwartz Taryn killiam mm-hmm. and jacob Battalone in here as yeah. well so you mean you're, you're primed to laugh but this first trailer is like I mean, if it's Kevin Hart doing his bits mm-hmm. with Tiffany Haddish and like a, like you said, sort of a more of a mentor role. Right. 
it was like, okay, you know, I can, I can hold off. But the whole you're clinically stupid <laughs> bit <laughs> was pretty good. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, moving on then to the first trailer for Upgrade movie. I literally didn't even know was coming out. Mm-hmm. No idea. From Bloomhouse too. But oh my gosh. Huge ticket. I mean, this thing is like John Wick revenge. But if John Wick was like good, but not great. And then he got like an implant to be like oh, okay. the most, <laughs> you know, just insane person you could ever dream of. I mean, this thing looks, I mean, just so interesting. I think the camera work was really cool. There's definitely James Wan from Blumhouse, you know, mm-hmm. the influences there were like the shot of like Logan Marshall Green's character just like popping up off the floor. Like right. The way the camera just sticks with him is really interesting and Matrix fun. style. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Logan Marshall Green really sells it in this trailer based on the way that this, you know, AI relationship plays out and the way that he is being involved mm-hmm. <laughs> in all of the actions taking place because the very first sequence he has to be like, I give you my permission to like take over and don't let me die. Yeah. And then he's just like, Oh my, Oh no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is so gross. And like, yes. he's, he's like, he's, uh, what do you remember? What he's got a knife. Stem? Oh. Is that what the yeah, program? STM. Mm-hmm. He's like stem. He's got a, it's okay. We have one too. And he's like, Oh my gosh. And it's just like, it's just, yes. it, that was like, so I don't know for me, that just felt so unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, like something I haven't really seen before. And yeah. so it had a very fun feel to it, even though it was like incredibly violent and they're getting like, you're slicing <laughs> dudes, like mouth wide open. Um, yeah. And then the gun arm, that was like such a cool idea yeah. that you just like, Put some bullets in your arm, and you're good. God, God, God! And you just, I was like, <laughs> yes. "That's." I was like, "What is this world?" The mechanics of it were epic, but it's it was so interesting and cool. And uh, I, I mean, yeah, I'm absolutely going to be there opening mm. weekend whenever it comes out. Yeah, this looks like a great dark action comedy. I'm. It's like, what if RoboCop were intentionally a comedy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not just accidentally one? You know, like I think they are, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I just love seeing it through. What if you were a passive observer in your body? When If you were, your body's a killing machine and you're a passive observer. Yeah. And that's just so funny because he's like, oh, I've got these powers. I can go do anything I want now. And then he go gets his butt kicked in the first 10 mm-hmm. seconds of a fight. And then all of a sudden he's like, okay, he calls upon Almighty Stem to save, his, uh, save himself. And then things just cascade from there. Yeah. I'm interested to see what this, how the story plays out. And mm-hmm. all that jazz. But yeah, it looks like a great, I don't want to say art house because that's not right, but um, it's definitely like the, the uh, I don't know what the word is for, the, the tongue-in-cheek attitude of Saw finally adapted to some kind of action movie. Right. And it feels, it feels it great. It feels really good. Yeah, absolutely. Take it. Um, so we'll move on to the last trailer here. The first one for The First Purge. Well, the fourth purge. The fourth purge, fourth titled pur- the first purge, t- formerly called Purge the Island. Yes. Now we're going back to the beginning, seeing how the very first purge started, and I'm gonna give this one a ticket. Really? Because I think I don't know. I like the origin take that they're going with. Um, I didn't even know Marissa Tomei was in this movie, so that was a very big surprise to me that <laughs> she is like, oh, they're just Marissa Tomei. She's some evil government agent. Yeah. Um, and I like. The way that they're going about this, I think, I think that the second purge—I don't know what—I don't know what the title. Anarchy. Is. Anarchy. Yep. I think that's the best one they've done. I thought Frank Grillo is really good in that because they grounded in its characters, um, and it's just kind of just like typical revenge story, you know, 
transposed into the purge universe and the purge mm-hmm. night this one it's like there's a lot of political elements going on oh yeah um and i think both of the two uh leads yolan noel and lex scott davis i thought both in, based on the trailers which i mean you can cut around that performance is potentially on a trailer but they look like they're gonna be good new fresh leads that i'm excited to see what they'll do um and I don't know. I just like all the different things. I mean, Gerald McMurray, another new upcoming director. I'm excited to see him. I mean, it's very political um, in the fact that they're like, you're sending in, you know, ex-Marines or whatever they are yeah. to pose as civilians to take out people in the hood. Like, it, and like, I don't know. That seems like a very interesting premise to me. Um, not to say that it's timely necessarily, <laughs> but I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of interesting parts to this so because of that and i didn't expect that kind of political racial element to be included in this mm-hmm. um and the fact that it's coming from a black director two black leads i mean it's i mean i think this movie is going to have something to say it's coming out july 4th the promotional campaign has been going at trump i i mean it's a ticket yeah i mean um you were talking about joe mcmurray i mean the the dude uh, EP'd on Fruitville Station or worked mm-hmm. with Ryan Johnson on Fruitville Station, and that the the theme of that um, it isn't really p- police brutality. Well, there's definitely but there's elements to it. Elements to it, and it kind of takes a look at this young man's life who got caught up in it. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, he kind of eschews all the stereotypes, and he was you know getting his life in together, and then had one unlucky night. But anyway, him taking sort of a worldview like that about mistreatment and then like saying like, you know, like the purge is actually about, you know, getting rid of people you don't like. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was totally aghast that that was the way this thing turned mm-hmm. and it really signaled it from the last one election year. Yeah. In, in ways, but it was also playing off of, you yeah, know, the election year was terrible. Right. Uh, the 2016 election. So mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever the case is, but yeah, this is, this is different with a lot of very forward socio-political elements to it, and uh, I'm digging it this time around. We're getting away from the whole uh, satire of super wealthy people like weird stuff right. type of a thing and getting into something that actually looks like it can say something mm-hmm. important or so, uh, um, at least express an idea that's not just here's some people wearing masks cutting other people up type of a thing. Yeah. Like the first rich, one, rich people and religious leaders are evil. <laughs> That's right. basically the message that the last one went with. Yeah. So the, yeah, yeah. It's, it's always, it's been this weird, like uh, toxic mesh. And this one looks like a, something a little bit easier to grasp. Right. Everything else has been in the abstract and these movies have been jumping genres all over the place. The first mm-hmm. one was like, oh, this be, be a home invasion movie. Second one, what if it's just an action movie? Mm-hmm. Third one is, like you said, that weird grafting. And then now here we've got something ground level and easier to process. And yeah, I'm taking for it. I've seen them all in theaters. Uh, I always enjoy myself in the moment. <laughs> I mean, after I get out, I'm like, okay, well, you know, whatever it was, whatever it was. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a ticket. Uh, I'm... I'm on board for this one. Okay, so then let's move into the news. We talked about John Krasinski on A Quiet Place and doing promotion for that movie. He talked to Screen Rant and said that he would love to get involved with Fantastic Four in the MCU and play Reed Richards. Ooh. Would he be a good fit? Yes, he would be a great fit. I mean, John Krasinski writes families very well. I think I said that in the review. Uh, put Make him, make him Reed Richards mm-hmm. and make him 
partial writer. Making Paul Rudd this? Yes. What's Paul Rudd this mean? Paul Rudd's the only other Marvel actor who also has writing credit. Yes. Make him Paul Rudd, his 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 movie, you know? <laughs> uh, let him write some parts of the first family. Let him be in there and get some ground-level stuff for Johnny Storm. Or no, yeah, Johnny Storm and Sue Storm. Mm-hmm. Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. Ben Grimm. I was just going to say the thing, but the thing. yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Was side question really random? Paul Rudd was never on The Office, was he? No. That feels Paul like Rudd an oversight. Never had a cameo on The Office. I, I was like, I don't think he's in the Looking for a Boss, a new regional manager episode that like Jim Carrey is in, like all those other comedians. Right. So I don't believe he's in there. Nope. I was like that. Like now thinking about, it, I was like, man, that's a real missed opportunity. They got him in Parks and Rec. Couldn't get him in the office for an episode. Come yeah. on. Oh, that's Anyways. Right. Yeah, okay, yes. I totally agree. <laughs> I'm all on board for this. Yeah. But, well, can't, I mean, can't, without going too sidewinder here. Okay. But never mind. Just I, I'm all on board for this. No, I was oh. just going to say, I mean, it's also clear that Emily Blunt should be Sue Storm because obviously they're married in real life and mm-hmm. that would be a way for them to keep teaming up yeah yeah i mean it's it's the easy fit i mean i i don't know if i've said it on the podcast before i've definitely said it on, on twitter, twitter multiple yeah. times that john krasinski and emily blunt need to be the leads of the marvel cinematic universe's uh fantastic four you get zach efron to play human torch and you get joel edgerton to play the thing and you've got an all-star cast um that are all good performers that can give the heart the mm. family the chemistry everything you want out of the fantastic four they're all the right ages um, I mean, it's it's a really I think that is my dream cast. So the fact that Krasinski is open to the possibility, I think, is good news. Especially since in the interview he said, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm still getting into comics." I'm like, "Why are you just now researching comics mm-hmm. if you're not looking to get into a comic book universe?" I mean, R- right. whether he plays Hal Jordan in the Green Lanterns or you know he does this or he's the new Wolverine, whatever it is, oh, I want to see John yeah, Krasinski like be a superhero. Um, you know, he, he was once going to, he was once in consideration to be Captain America. I'm very happy. It went to Chris Evans based on how everything's turned out, mm-hmm. but I have no, um, doubt in my mind that Krasinski would have also been able to pull off the boy scout charm to start and then grow into the rugged screw the government. I don't mm-hmm. trust anybody. Right. Here's my beard. <laughs> America. Ooh. See, I have a question though. If he does play Reed Richard, he has to keep the beard, right? I think, I, yeah, I don't think, I don't know why you couldn't keep the beard. Yeah. I feel like if he shaves the beard, he's Jim Halpert again. So I, yeah, I, true. I, I think he needs to keep it. But I think that's he, why he has it now too. Maybe. But I mean, Reed sometimes normally has like these silver streaks in his hair too. So there's like, there's a way to, to you know, make him look a little different than yeah. Jim, but it, it's definitely, it would definitely be very Jim Halpert esque. Now he can just stretch. <laughs> uh, so it's like, I definitely think that the beard, I think that's his look now. Um, I don't know why they would necessarily force him to shave. Right. Unless they really wanted. Or they the, could just pull it back a little bit. Right. I don't know why. I don't know why they would, you know, mandate yeah. him. Especially not. I mean, maybe it's like, all right, you don't get a you don't get a sale of this sort of stuff until you've been in you know mm-hmm. the universe for ten years. Because now, like Chris Evans, like I don't want to put on a wig anymore. Right. <laughs> Thor's hair is sh- short. Yeah. Chris Evans, like I don't want to shave anymore. I'm like, all right, Cap's got a beard. <laughs> like they're letting these characters adapt to and the then, people that are playing them. Maybe that's because they've been around <laughs> yes. for so long. Um, and Krasinski's got to build that up. So the first movie he's clean shaven. Second one he's got a little stubble, and then the mm-hmm. third one, you know, he's got the full on, you know, lumberjack beard as you've been calling it. And so. 
always just let uh, Robert Denny Jr. show up to whatever he was put on that day. Yeah. And every single movie, there's like he's like, you know what? This tracksuit wasn't that comfortable. I want to be in a new tracksuit. They're like, okay, whatever, whatever works right. for you, RDJ. But this is just such a great idea, though, because he, the first family, can lead Earth, or and let Captain Marvel do Cosmos. Yeah. I think that's well. I mean, but I know Fantastic Four battles the Cosmos mm-hmm. too most of the time, ninety percent of the time, eighty percent of the time, whatever. It, 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 but a, yeah, good letting share. letting Grandpappy Stark, you know, hobble off to wherever he goes, <laughs> and let the new Hollywood power couple take over. I think that's I think that's just a genius way to you know set yourself up for the whole new wave of MCU films. Yeah, and, and I it mean, would make it would just blow. It would like reel me way mm-hmm. way back in for it. And I mean, yeah, Marvel Studios obviously, as I said before, is already interested in him by going after him for Cap. The fact that he's now going to top a Spielberg movie um, at the box office um, is, I think, his stock is only going to continue to get higher. And I think the quicker they could <laughs> lock him down, the better, which could be complicated because of the Fox deal. They maybe can't technically sign him on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think this would be an excellent casting. He has nothing on his schedule. Nope. I, there's no IMDb per c- credits whatsoever other than his Jack Ryan series. Yeah. Which I which, think he's just producing. He's starring in that. He's well starring, but producing too. Oh, I mean, okay. But then I was like, outside yeah, of that, like, I mean, what they need him for after right, right, right. principle. I mean, assuming I th- assuming that gets a second season, that could tie him up potentially. But I mean, yeah, it's. I don't think uh, Amazon can afford to do anything other than Lord of the Rings right now, though. So <laughs> <laughs> That's true. A billion dollars for five seasons? That's insane. <sighs> um, anyways, speaking of insane numbers, uh, Disney is poised to get a lot of money at the box office thanks to Avengers Infinity War as it hit tracking this week and is projected to hit at least $200 million opening weekend. But I think that's just the floor. How big is this really going to go, Josh? Uh, I don't see. This is, I, this is what I don't know. I'm try. I mean, it's the event film of the decade. I think. Pretty sure. Nah. Yeah. Possibly. Okay. So that means it's bigger than Force Awakens. I, that's what my gut is telling me. But when you look at that domestic opening weekend Force Awakens number, you're like, can any movie really do that? I don't know. And I'm wondering if Marvel is just I mean, the pro- the property is ubiquitous now. Everyone loves it in some kind of way. There are very few people who would say uh, there's not one of those movies that I enjoy. Right. Or whatever. And so there's enough here to get every single person in the United States in a theater mm-hmm. opening weekend. But I wonder how much steam it can have the first weekend. So I think 250, 245. If, if 250, if 248 is the number, because I would officially cross the Force Awakens by, mm. you know, 0.1. <laughs> yeah. Is, I, would you go over or it's under? It's going to be... I would take the under at this exact moment. Okay. But I would not be shocked, mm-hmm. but I would put my money on under. I think the most difficult thing about it getting over there will be how theaters react to the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already heard that, you know, this movie broke Black Panther's ticket sales record for 24 hours and six hours. Yep. So ticket sales for this are obviously going through the roof. Um, my only question will be is if theaters do around the clock screens for this, like they did with force awakens. Cause I remember when that movie came out, you know, like the 
a the now AMC here um, that had has IMAX was playing a, a new showing of of episode seven like every 20, 30 minutes yeah. from nine a.m. to two a.m. in the morning, and mm-hmm. it's like it was just nonstop. So like, will theaters do the same thing here and just like put all of their theaters on Infinity War screenings and just let audiences flood in? Probably. I mean, there's not really good. I mean. Unless people are gonna go see a quiet place in its fourth weekend, right? Ready Player One in its fifth, you know, Rampage in its fourth weekend. Like you're not gonna be driving out to go see those movies at that point. All of, uh, any all other competing movies mm-hmm. have vacated that release date. Exactly. That's like what... it's the only new release that yep. that week. So like if you want to go to the movies and see a new movie, it's your only option. If yeah. you have if you've been you know staying up to date. Mm-hmm. Um, if it does, you know, hit this benchmark two hundred million dollars, which I think is incredibly low, uh, it'll be the sixth film ever to do over two hundred million dollars opening weekend domestically. It'll break the April record of one hundred forty-seven million, Ooh. which I think is easily. I mean, it's obviously going to pass that, no yeah. question about it. Even if this movie had a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, I still think it would do over one hundred fifty million dollars opening weekend domestically. It, it's it's that easy, um, but the reasons I think it is going to go over two fifty, I think okay. it's going to be the biggest opening weekend ever domestically is not only because I think this movie, like you said, has so many franchises point from these can draw in the people mm-hmm. who only go see guardians. They're right. like, Oh, okay. Guardians of this movie. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll go see this. The people who saw the first MC movie ever with black Panther. Now like, okay, yeah, that's what black gets me Panthers there. in here again. Wakanda's in here. It's the whole third act. Mm-hmm. Let's go support this again. Whatever it is, like there's so many different franchises that if you're a fan of this one franchise, you want to see those characters again, you have to go see Infinity War to see what's next. Mm-hmm. So you can draw in so many different audiences, but also, you know, the tracking is a very difficult thing to really judge. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's not an exact science. No, it's based on polling numbers. But the thing is, the polling numbers on Infinity War are insane. So the awareness score, which is made up of, you know, a score of how many people um, bring up the movie of like wanting to see this movie or know about this movie without yeah. being prompted, being like, oh, have you heard of this movie? That number is 42, which is higher than The Force Awakens, which had a 36, Black Panther and Last Jedi, which had a 35, The Avengers, which had a 26, mm-hmm. and Jurassic World, which had a 24. Ooh. So it's significantly higher just in terms of people knowing that this movie's coming out. Yeah. But also. Its first choice is insane, a 38, which is The Force Awakens had a 22, mm. Black Panther had a 25, The Last Jedi had a 23, Avengers had a 21, and Jurassic World had a 17. So to think this movie has a score that is almost that is almost double of Avengers in yeah. terms of this is my first choice if I'm at a theater is staggering. I don't know how this movie doesn't Honestly, I feel like this is going to go past 250. I don't know if it can do 260. I think it goes back to the screens and how many screens this, you know, theaters put this movie in, but I think this is going to be the new all-time domestic opening weekend really? record. Okay. I, I I think it's highly plausible. Do you who uh did you get that polling stats from? Uh Deadline. Deadline? Okay. I wonder do they have does Deadline publish their respondents uh demographics? I don't think so. Okay. I'm just the the only reason I would hedge against that and why mm-hmm. I'm hedging against it now is I'm wondering about generational interest on this. Yeah. Because the only reason I would say Star Wars got to where mm-hmm. it was it was because it was 
four, three generations yeah. of people after those after those film wanting to see a film that they'd begun in the seventies. Right. So that's my only reservation. I I totally get but that. Depending on ages on those respondent rates, but that's still off the charts stats that you yeah. just you know laid out there for us. So it would not surprise me in the slightest if, like you said, it rockets to one hundred twenty million dollars. The first two nights. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I, yeah. I think that's that's pretty much in the cards. I think. I well, Thursday the, night, Friday night is what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Because uh, yeah. you know it's going to be packed. I mean, it's going to do. I don't. I don't know what early the, screenings. The the record is for Thursday night screenings, but like something like eighty million. What? Yeah. Are you serious? I think so. That's insane. Uh. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like this movie is going to just do gangbusters at the box office and nothing's really going to stop it. So uh, I think you're looking that stat up, but are you not? Looking at the LA Times right now. Okay. Well, then let's move on. Sure thing. To Deadpool 2, which according to Jeff Snyder on Meet the Movie Press, it has lost its main villain. <laughs> what? Because it cut out Jack Kessie, who was originally cast to reportedly play Black Tom and was reported to be one of, if not the main villain of the movie. We've never saw him in the marketing. Now that he's out of the movie, is this a concern? Who is the villain? Does it matter? I don't... I, mean, I thought well, I thought he was fighting Cable. Yeah. We've not... I mean... But, like, so then Cable's the, the villain of the movie? Isn't that what the trailers show? Kind of, but, like, that. I don't know, that seems like a weird thing to do for Cable's first appearance, especially if him and Deadpool are going to be teamed up in X-Force. Right. It'd be like if the first Captain America movie was Civil War, and that was the very first MCU movie, you're like, wow, Iron Man is kind of a jerk. Or you think, wow, Captain America really just doesn't understand (laughs) anything. Like, you don't introduce a hero that's going to be a main character and be buddies with somebody as a villain most of the time. That's a very good point. So perhaps, I mean, Deadpool 2 marketing has been extremely vague. Uh, we've just finally got an idea of what our plot is. Yeah. Uh, Brosive, Josh Brolin. Yeah. Josh Brosive has come back <laughs> from the future to hunt down this kid to stop the apocalypse because apparently it's like a looper situation. Uh-huh. Um, uh, baby Hitler type of a <laughs> attitude to it. Where Julian Dennison is the one. That, that is that is so funny. Then if Deadpool if Deadpool is the one trying to stop the death of Baby Hitler or future <laughs> yeah. Hitler or whatever the case is, but eventually there's going to have to be a turn then somewhere. Yeah. Is it the X Men who are like, oh wait, do they, they going to realize? Oh wait, maybe that kid should you know get quarantined and sent off to <laughs> somewhere, and then they all turn on them. I don't know, but. Yeah, this is a weird thing. So if you can cut someone out of your movie, mm-hmm. then they weren't important to that movie. No, because I got that's the it's the interesting thing. I would I would hope so. I mean, right? Yeah, unless, <laughs> unless you've that's done a weird expansive thing. reshoots to you know like that, you'd have to Rogue One a situation. Yeah. to change your villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that's why I just I don't know. This is a weird development to have. I mean, I'm, I'm even though we're just now learning about this, and the movie comes out in a month. I don't think this is something that they just did. Probably this is probably decided. I, I hope uh, a month or two ago, and so that they were already they already knew about it. This is, and then so him being cut has been in all of the test screens that are getting super high praise apparently. Um, 
But I don't know. This just seems like a weird thing because, yeah, like, is Cable the villain? Does that mean we're not going to like Cable? Um, it raises more concerns for me over how are they going to balance Deadpool and Cable together? Uh, or will they go, like, in the comics, there's, like, an evil version of Cable called Strife. Uh, is that who Josh Brolin is? And the real Cable comes in at the end and Strife's been posing as Cable the whole time, like, mm. and make it really complicated. Like, maybe they do that. Or maybe Deadpool takes, like, a really um, fine paperclip and like yeah. puts it in the back of Josh Brolin's eye, eye, eye socket and like hits the reset button and then he becomes a good cable again. <laughs> Maybe. He's a cyborg. You, that's how cyborgs work. I guess. Uh, so yeah, but you, you've got me beat on this. Yeah. So. It, 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 I don't know. It, it's a very weird thing to have happen now. Especially so close to it all and to hear that. Yeah. Um, and speaking of... Oh, quick uh, anecdote here. 50 million as the... the Biggest Thursday single day gross. What was that for? Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. On a Thursday. That is because that movie opened early, though. So that's like an actual. It was actually showing on a Thursday. Oh, geez. Okay. Because I, I think I've looked that up before too. So we got to go for previews then. Yeah, which is like I don't know. Like I don't think Box Office Mojo has that stat readily available. They do keep it though with. The Last Jedi on the same chart, okay. along with The Force Awakens. So, um, so perhaps well, maybe we need to do adjust for uh, seven o'clock on show. Maybe okay, I'll do we'll, more research. We'll figure it out, and probably never update you guys. So, right. if you really want to find out, <laughs> go figure it out for yourself. Yeah, I'll tweet it out obscurely at two a.m. when I yeah. find it. Uh, but moving on then to DC, uh, THR slyly indicated this week that John Francis Daly and Jonathan. Uh, Goldstein's Flash movie will no longer be titled Flashpoint, uh, even though THR's Boris Kitt, who wrote the story and had this tease in there, later um, said on Twitter that even though the movie won't be titled Flashpoint, uh, that does not mean that they are not adapting the story in any way. I think this would mark a very this would mark another change for the project if that is the case. But is them potentially moving away from Flashpoint a good idea? It's too early to do Flashpoint. Yeah. I've always, I don't know if I've always said that. I think I've always said it's a lot of things to do mm-hmm. to introduce Flash. But it sounds like he's battling a ton of characters from a couple of the reports that we've gotten yeah. early that don't necessarily line up with Flashpoint, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember talking about, I mean, basically theorizing this, you know, weeks maybe even months ago we got that casting breakdown of like oh captain cold and heat wave and all these other rogues are in this movie and you're like how did this isn't this isn't flashpoint like mm-hmm. this doesn't make any sense um so i think uh, for me this actually is really honestly great news because i don't after seeing daily and uh, goldstein's game night again that movie is so well done that like i don't want to see them have to deal with time travel doing here's thomas wayne as batman here's an evil wonder woman and an yeah. evil aquaman and a you know a martha wayne who's now the joker i don't want to have to see them deal with all of this and also ha- explain oh well barry changed it to save his mom but a lot of people who go see this movie for the first time will be just learning about barry's origin who they're not even going to really know that oh that's the thing that drives him through all these years yeah so i think it's 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 a much better decision to focus in on Barry and just have him be like, all right, this is me after I became a justice league member. I'm doing my own thing now in central mm-hmm. city. 
It's very similar to Spider-Man Homecoming, which coincidentally Dalen Goldstein wrote part of. So I think it, I think that again is a signal that this isn't it, Flashpoint. Uh, so it's a good thing that this is, isn't titled Flashpoint because it gives people very um, certain ideas of what that movie would be then. I don't really know what they could mean then. They can still draw inspiration from that story in some ways, unless there's some time travel element. Start a setup. Yeah. Introduce but the ideas, perhaps. Maybe. Um, but I, th- I do think this is really good news, honestly. Yeah. You don't want to go big too, too big too fast. No. That's literally the lesson they should have learned from the Justice League film. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, stick with a vision. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it looks like they're saying, let's not do everything all at once mm-hmm. and doing something smaller. Yeah. And, and small works. And I hope that this means that uh, Ray Fisher comes back in that supporting Please. Le- secondary lead role right. that you know, Rick Famuyiwa was planning yeah, because I need more cyborg. Absolutely. Um, and going over to Star Wars, then Deadline revealed this week that Solo Star Wars story is getting a surprise early debut Ooh. at the Cannes Film Festival on May fifteenth. This will be the world premiere and comes ten days before its theatrical release. Is this a vote of confidence from Lucasfilm? Oh yeah, definitely. Cannes is the most snootiest film festival in my opinion, mm-hmm. probably because it's in France. Um, that's nothing against France, but I just think anytime I see people there, I'm like, yeah, it looks like it's cans. You, you know? think of Ratatouille? Or, yeah, I think of Ratatouille, but also I just, I, mean, I don't know. I just, con- I just conjure, you know, 18th century French, you know, aristocracy type vibes. I'm like, let them eat cake type of an attitude. <laughs> so I was like, all right, whatever. But yeah, you wouldn't send a Star Wars movie there unless you were a hundred percent confident it was going to be received. Okay or great mm-hmm. and none of those other films were sent to cans so i think this says something about bradford young's cinematography in this film right well like two and episodes two and three were sent to cans mm-hmm. back in the day but, but cans was very different yeah. then than it is now right and george lucas believe you know was tripping when he thought those were like well they were they were they were, they were innovative cgi, CGI stuff, films yeah. that he wanted to show off and rightfully so mm-hmm. Um, uh, acting wise though I think he's crazy <laughs> but I think that says something about the style of this movie um, and Howard's confidence in William's confidence and L- Bradford Young's confidence um, so I mean you wouldn't send a movie here that's just a run of the mill who's Williams? John Williams oh his his solo score I, I know that I mean he's not scoring the movie no but his his part in it it's all it's all inspired by his music okay, okay. Uh, it's Williams for every Star Wars movie from here on out until they really just throw everything out the window <laughs> which they haven't done yet I don't because know I, I even won't. Rogue One still said we borrowed score elements well, from yeah, everyone else you're gonna else. borrow things but I mean yeah until they until Johnson's trilogy when Williams is not involved yeah I will not or the Ben Affleck series or whatever exactly yeah a thousand percent precise but yeah i i really think they have some i really think they think they have something worth screening mm-hmm. for a bunch of aristocrats <laughs> yeah uh i i do think this is a good sign for solo i really want to see that second trailer that howard said oh yeah it's coming mm-hmm. i was like okay i know we're gonna get it soon the movie comes out in right you know a little over a month um yeah. So, like, you know, it's got to be here soon. Um, and I think I'm actually starting to get a little excited for Solo. Yes, uh, I'm so glad. I mean, I'm not, like, you know, over the moon for it. Um, but, you know, just shifting focus, getting away from 
uh, I'm uh, I'm upset that Lord and Miller aren't doing this anymore. Right. Just you know, accepting what's going to happen, um, the changes. Someone's brought the fire extinguisher into the "this is fine" meme, and you're just finally coming <laughs> yeah. around and saying, "Hey, this is fine." I guess, yeah, I th- yeah. I mean, I I think I always said this movie was going to be fine, right? But I, for, I don't know them taking it to cans ten days early, um, a couple of days before Deadpool two hits theaters. Um, I think that this is a move by Lucasfilm to be like this movie's pretty good and we think people are going to like it. Cause if this movie was even just okay, yeah, I don't think they would take it to cans because then you get 10 days of, of instant reactions. I mean, they'll, they'll probably be re- sending out reviews around the same time or at mm-hmm. least a little bit after. Yeah. Um, but like it, it would be terrible for solo if they showed it, to, showed it at cans and they're just like, Oh, this movie sucks. Alden gives a terrible performance. The cinematography is absolutely terrible. The score is just all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Howard honestly has no idea what he's doing. Like you wouldn't do right. that. <laughs> yeah. Like to me, this says Ron Howard did a really good job. He, he accomplished what Lucasfilm set out to do with this movie. Initially, he shot Kasdan's script beat by beat mm-hmm. and, you know, getting in the acting coach gave Alden made Alden a good, Han Solo. As long as you believe that the Vulture Report, yes. Um, but yeah, uh, you're taking it to the toughest audience. I think yeah. there is a film festival where people who've been watching films with script and things where Foreign people have films with you know right who've these poured political like, messages and everything. Yeah, who've people have poured their literal their entire lives into like those movies to get mm-hmm. them there and you're gonna take your studio film right so i mean not Which, i mean to say studio like badly but it's just it's a mach- more of a machine type of a film so you really really have to believe that you can make somebody feel something special yeah and this isn't competing for like the the cans right. prize it's a special screening yeah um so it's not like you know so it's not like lucas from saying we have potentially the best picture this year in Solo, yeah. and we're going to send it over to Cannes and have it go up against all the other potential awards bait movies that will come out at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. No. They're just sending it over there to be like, here's a little break from the festival movies. Here's a special screen in Solo. Share your thoughts, um, which, uh, yeah, I think is a good sign. For sure. So then moving on to our last bit of news this week, Simon Pegg was on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast and he made a lot of Star Wars fans either happy, sad, or confused. <laughs> yeah, he fed the trolls, but also stepped on them too. It was, yeah. it was a weird. It was a, it's a good interview, but his comment, yeah, go get into it. Yeah, sorry. so he um, and the interviewer Josh Horowitz from MTV, they were talking about the Last Jedi, Peg's involvement in the Force Awakens, and they talked about Rey and her parentage or lack thereof in terms of having mm-hmm. an important lineage. And it was during this that Peg revealed that The Last Jedi basically changed what Abrams initially kind of had set up for Rey's parentage in The Force Awakens, saying, quote, Well, I know what J.J. kind of intended, or at least what was sort of being chucked around. I think that's kind of been undone slightly by The Last Jedi. I don't know. I don't know. I think Uncar Plutt is Rey's real father. <laughs> End quote. He then continued by saying, quote, there was some talk about, you know, a kind of relevant lineage for her, but I honestly don't know, and I don't know if anybody knows. We shall see. Mm-hmm. End quote. So, what do you make of this? Well, Peg writes with JJ semi-frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're very good friends. Yes. 
Uh, the reason he's in a giant monster suit. In right, the exactly. Force Awakens. That's why Peg uh, has written with uh, the Star Trek scripts. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so of course he was working with J.J. on the script for Force Awakens and probably around or near the writer's room as they were setting it up. Uh, yeah, and I've seen two kinds of people arguing about this. The ones that are like, uh, so what? Simon Pegg should shut up. Who cares? Mm-hmm. And then there's the I knew it crowd. Ryan Johnson's a <laughs> moof milker, and he ruined a good thing. Um, but I don't care if it changed mm-hmm. or if Ryan Johnson changed. Like it, my attitude to this is just so what? You know, um, nothing is ever finished. Nothing mm-hmm. is ever set in stone. J.J. chose not to reveal anything in his first movie, and if he really believed that was the crux of this story, mm-hmm. he would have said so, and he didn't. No. And he read, and him. There, there's a certain collaboration between him and Johnson, even if it wasn't credited or spoken, he still produced and helped and gave mm-hmm. notes in some way. Uh, th- there's no way that, JJ didn't come around to believe what Ryan Johnson did was right or was the best path forward. Of course, when you're writing a Star Wars film, you're like, who's Luke Skywalker's daughter? <laughs> That's what we have 25 years of or yeah. 30 years of, you know, in the expanded universe, book collections, legends now. And that's what people ran with. And sure, you're thinking that now. But um, Daisy Ridley seems to believe that that was what was there for the get-go mm-hmm. and hasn't questioned it since. So if she believed that at first episode seven, then that eventually her, that JJ, what? that she was nobody. Oh, okay. Then eventually JJ arrived to that after the script was done, even though he'd left that question there. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe. Or do you think Simon Pegg is saying, Oh no, JJ was upset what Ryan did and ruined everything for him. No. He, okay. I don't think that is what Peg is saying. And honestly, I think I mean I could I could go back to our discussion we had a couple weeks ago of lack of planning and Lucas mm-hmm. one part be like, Well, you see, if you guys had planned this out, you guys would have talked to JJ and be like, JJ, what are you doing with Ray? Oh, I'm I'm setting her up to have this big reveal at some point that she is tied to this character and that's why I'm doing all of these you know, lingering looks at her or people questioning where she came from is because that's a question you need to be asking because it's a big point of who she is. Yeah. But he lost all control of that when he decided he's going to walk, he's going to wipe his hands clean and walk away from star Wars after seven. Yeah. He came back to do nine and I'm very happy he's going to, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't the plan. He thought he was going to make seven and walk away and never do Star Wars ever again. Right. So any plans that he had that he didn't officially sit down and talk with Kathleen Kennedy and Pablo Hidalgo and anybody else in the story group and say, this is where I'm setting her up to go. I think this would be the best direction for those characters. And they all agree that this is the best way to go. Then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because if he really wanted to make sure that Ray turned out to be a Kenobi or a Skywalker or a Solo, Mm -hmm. then he would have been like, you know what? I want to do eight or I want to do nine as I'm developing this because I want to make sure that I can close this out the right way. Yeah. And And he didn't. Yeah. So it's like he, even though I think that Peg is telling the truth Mm -hmm. that Abrams did intend for Ray to have some important ties in terms of her lineage that has been changed now. I think it raises the question, though, because Abrams is coming back, will J.J. change anything? 
and make her not retroactively, I guess, but reveal that she that her parents weren't nobodies, that they weren't just drunks, that they didn't just leave her mm-hmm. on uh, Jakku, that she is actually tied to something important. I think that's a legitimate possibility if Peg's telling the truth. Because, I mean, The Last Jedi, yeah, they say, your parents are nobody, but it's, you know, no. Kylo kind of pushes Rey in a corner to make her think that. I, th- I mean, you could you could definitely read it that way. I mean, it's not like they have the birth certificate there and they're like, Here, here's who your right. parents are, Ray. Here's your last name. We still don't know. So I think if JJ really did have his mindset on this and he can and he could find a way to make it work and not ruin that moment in The Last Jedi and get approval by you know Kathleen Kennedy and everybody mm-hmm. and set up Ray to be a, another prominent leader in any future Star Wars episodes, I could... I mean, I can I can easily see them, you know, making that change. Do you think that that is a possibility? It's a possibility, but I don't see them making the change. Okay. Because JJ saw the script for eight. Yeah. He loved it. Mm-hmm. He wished he had directed it. And also, the thing about JJ Abrams is he asks questions, he never answers them. So almost, far. almost ever. He'll get to answer some questions, I think, in episode eight, nine. You should. But also, there are really no questions left to be yeah, answered unless you wanna, after Unless you really want to know, who, who, where did, who are, what's Finn's last name? What's his real name? Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, what's the deal with Poe? You know? I mean, I don't know what the deal with Poe is. <laughs> I don't know either. Where did BB-8 come from? Yeah, exactly. Who is BB-8's father? Yeah, who created BB-8? Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, he had... He kicked up Lost, mm-hmm. opened up all those different ways that story could go, and let them run with it after he stepped away. Same thing, or well, Alias, then Lost, and yeah. uh, everything else. Did his thing for Star Trek, mm-hmm. gave them a way to go. Gave Star Wars Episode Seven a way to go. Do you, we don't know, do you want Ray to be, have, you know, Skywalker parents? You can do that the way I set you up. Right. Or you can say she's nobody, like Ryan Johnson did, mm-hmm. and then move the movie that way. And... You know, even if this was originally what J.J. had been like, I'll, I'll leave it vague, and then if they decide they want Ray's parents to be Luke or Han or the hidden daughter, mm-hmm. whatever the case is, they can do that. And I, I, I do think that, like, may, maybe they want to make her special, maybe they don't. And I, I think that's probably why they did it. They left it vague so they could come along later and change things, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, George Lucas didn't know when he wrote stars episode four and mm-hmm. that and we wrote the entire trilogy that luke skywalker was going to be the son of darth vader right but when him and kazdin were drilling into the details of five they're like yeah well we can just adr <laughs> that line in there as the movie goes so, and and they did and it changed things and then the same thing with six uh script wise leia and luke's parentage yep. so uh, it's just it's how storytelling across franchises that haven't been written yet work yeah and so but I don't it know. is interesting uh I, that peg said that yeah i mean i i think the only re- i think it works better for ray personally for her to be a nobody mm-hmm. i mean having her be a distant uh, having her be a long forgotten daughter to luke skywalker changes his entire what he's been doing between six and seven and eight like and then you can't make you can't make her retroactively be a solo because it's like what Leia and Han had another child, but mm-hmm. then they like gave her away, and they never thought that 
oh, you look kind of familiar. You look kind of like our daughter, or you may be her, or have that force connection to her. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Kenobi, complicated. It makes sense that she would be a nobody. And I think it, it goes with the theme that Johnson's going for mm-hmm. um, in The Last Jedi. But, you know, because the answer that The Last Jedi has appeared to give um, made, I think, not more. I think it made some portion of the Star Wars fandom upset that Ray was a nobody. Yeah. If Lucasfilm wants to maybe try to get those people back, even though they're still already on board because they're going to see episode nine regardless. Right. I could see them be like, well, let's take a cool, let's take a little bit detour of our non-existent plan and make Ray somebody, or at least I've even, I've even heard the theory that not make her a Skywalker or something, but have her since she doesn't know who her parents are. I've heard the theory of like, well, what if she just adopts the Skywalker name after because Luke's dead, Leia's going to be gone. And like, those were two people that were big influences in her. She doesn't have a last name. Right. So if like you're looking for one, why not just be like, I want to have my last name be after two of the most influential people in my life. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think honestly, that would be the better way to go. If you want to make her a Skywalker or make her some, make her tied into a family. Yeah. Have her be like tied in that way. I think that'd be a a cool way to go about it. Yeah. That is definitely a neat way to round out her name for yeah. sure so uh that's all we have for the news this week which means we're at the end of this episode uh we'll be back next week with a review of rampage i believe yeah uh comes out um i've seen reactions to it that are good um i mean i don't think it's supposed to be anything mind positive mind blowing but it's definitely like that all right you go in you see the rock you see giant monsters fight each other it's destruction. It's popcorn. What more do you want? And you know, for that reason, you know, I'm 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 looking forward to. It. I think the trailers have looked fun. I think the VFX on it look actually surprisingly really well done. Um, and I'm still holding out hope that the movie ends with The Rock turning into a 200 foot tall version of himself <laughs> and boxing, you know, that flying uh, fox or whatever. Right. The um, wolf. Yes. Or wrestling with a crocodile. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be. That's it looks epic. End. It seems to be. It seems to know it's extremely kitschy, mm-hmm. and has hopefully going to have fun with it. Um, but we will see. Yeah, and we'll also be back this week with another edition of the Big Question. This one asking who should be the next Indiana Jones? Because uh, Spielberg was talking about that this week, so we're going to tackle that discussion in the Big Question. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, like our Big Question about should Donald Glover write or direct Deadpool three. Please head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review, plus subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Whatever you can do on social media really helps the podcast. And be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything you covered by tweeting us at Friends and Film. You can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends and Film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our review of Rampage. Rampage.